0: It's energy. That's literally what it is and not, you know, when we talk about, you know, the positive vibes and the energy, it's like, like legit, literal energy transfers happening from the sun into the ocean. It's, it's insane. And we are able to experience that. And that's why, you know, many people can articulate how they interact on that, on that wave. But for me, it's, Again, I just really enjoy speaking in scientific language because it's an empowering tool that can be used to try to explain different events between cultures and between, you know, cultures essentially. And that's what's pretty cool about science.
1: That's Cliff Capono and you're listening to
0: The Beginning of Earth like something is rapidly
1: transfigurating in my core of being, an awakening of sorts. The beginning
0: of,
1: of a raw conversation hosted by your main fucker, Billy Otto. Pulling apart what it means to rebirth, to rewild, to be curious, and to rechild. Hey fam, um, I'm going to record my intro to the on my iPhone. My studio is back in Byron, I'm in Sydney. Um, you can skip ahead if you want, but it's a beautiful little five minute reflection from Uncle Bilbo. Yoo. Hey fam, what a wild ride it's been! Far out this week. Started off pretty funny for me. I was on my way to Sydney, um, full of glee, van all packed. I was properly moving out of my house in Sydney, and I just got a call that my house was flooding. And so. I was, at first, a little bit rattled and my reptilian brain was thinking, oh my goodness, world's crashing down. But my directed mind and my soul was calling me to a place of peace. And I just breathed and I just had a trust that the cycle of life and the universe had my back. <laughs> um, I cruised back to my house. Just uh, The main thing I was just worried about was that the main thing that I was worried about was just that I've got thousands of dollars of gear just sitting around in my studio, and it was my studio that was flooded. Um, but I still drove home with this deep sense of peace and groundedness, calm. A peace and a calm that I haven't had for a long time in my life. And I ended up going back to my house, I was talking to my dear friend from the Gold Coast over the phone, having a great conversation, and. Life was going on as normal. I got back to the place, my house in Lennox Head, and the studio was actually in worse condition than what I thought. (laughs) Just water, like a couple of inches high. But uh, my gear wasn't too damaged. I kind of laughed about it, giggled about it, called my friends to help me move some stuff into my bedroom so I could just dry everything out. Long story short, I'm experiencing a joy and a deep happiness and a calm, probably more than ever, probably more than I ever have. And it's kind of blowing my mind because, I don't know, there's been a lot of tumultuous things that have happened to me this year. I went through another breakup with my ex-fiance. Yeah, we've experienced the bushfires, um, COVID-19 restrictions, cancelled tours, cancelled this and that, losing finances here, gaining some there but for some reason there has been this undergirding force of strength and love that is holding me in this beautiful flow state, in this beautiful ikigai and I just want to start this podcast by just saying thank you universe, thank you God, um, thank you people um, I feel so honored to exist and my studio um, you know, is very special to me. All, all I can say is that if this happened to me a year and a half ago, like I would have been losing my shit. Like I would have been crushed. I would have been left in a place of regret. Whoa. Woe is me. Fuck my life. But instead, I was definitely filled with a peace, with a beautiful, beautiful spirit. And so I just want to say that change is possible. These are all first world problems and I speak from a deep place of privilege, but all I can say is that in my life, many things that are very little have actually ruined me. Um, Parking fines have destroyed me. Um, Someone gossiping about me, that would destroy me. Um, Losing money, um, having something stolen, ruin me. But I can honestly say that there is a strengthening in my core um, and I think mindfulness has really contributed to that Um, and just posturing myself more towards um, the void, embracing uh, my breath, inhaling, exhaling mindfully. And so um, I just encourage you this week that meditation is so powerful Um, it's definitely had a transfigurating, um, impact on my life. Um, a good diet, um, sleeping well, really protecting your sleep, surrounding yourself by loving humans, being in the ocean or in nature an hour a day, um, spending less time on your phone and spending more time, um, reading, um, and having mindful conversations with your family, telling your family that you love them. So, um... that's my little Tony Robbins, Dr. Phil moment, <laughs> but I just wanted to exert, um, yeah, just froth about just little incremental changes in my life, little changes, little shiftings, alterations to my mindset and my neurological pathway.
0: The beginning of us
1: Today, I'm going to be sharing with you a very, very special interview, um, actually recorded every year ago in my old studio apartment um, in Maroubra. Um, I was introduced to Cliff Capono through Instagram, through my dear friend Kate Nelson, Plastic Free Mermaid, who said that a friend was in transit and needed a place to stay. And Cliff is a pro surfer, a scientist, a storyteller. He surfs big waves and he's proper, he's a doctor of science. Um, I've probably never felt so um, intellectually useless in a conversation, so bear with me. It's a lot of big words that he uses, I was a bit lost. But um, (laughs) he's such a beautiful man. He's a Hawaiian native. um, And because of his passport problems, trying to surf these big waves of cloud breaking Fiji, Fiji, he actually had to stay at my house for like three or four days. And it was, um, we became brothers in that time. We surfed together a bunch. Um, He borrowed some of my boards. Um, But I had so many questions um, just about um, growing up in Hawaii, um, ocean, custodianship, um, the future of sustainability, um, the fragility of ecology, um, and also the first nations of Hawaii and colonization. And I just think you're going to love this interview. Um, you know, definitely follow Cliff. He writes some beautiful material on his Instagram. He writes, it's essentially a, a blog that ocean and science and storytelling, um, Yeah, he's a firecracker, and he's a big unit. (laughs) Heaps of love to you, Cliff. Thanks for the support, fam. And um, more episodes are going to be flooding over the next couple of months. So stay in the realm, stay in the froth, and um, sending so much love to you.
0: I get to the check-in counter, and everything's all good. Load my boards up, get all checked in, and when they slide my passport because of international flight, they tell me, Oh, there's something wrong with your passport, they look into the computer, they tell me you only have two months left or two months left on your passport and you gotta have six months at least to go into Fiji. So I asked them, there's no way I'm getting on this flight today. They told me not unless you can call immigration and have them sign some type of executive order saying you're clear to enter the country. But right now, if you don't have six months at least on your passport current, can't go to Fiji. So called you back up and asked you if you want to go surf. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you texted me, hey, man, you're not going to believe it. And I was just like, oh, maybe like his flight is like tomorrow or something. I've done it before. But yeah, I was so bummed for you, man, because I've experienced the same thing overseas. And it's just a bit of a, a gross feeling have to get, having to go to anything, immigration, embassy, yeah. this or that. Yeah. But um yeah now we got some really fun waves. It was pouring rain, four to five foot, fun little swell and offshore and yeah man. Um, I've honestly loved man hearing about your your heart for the ocean, your mm-hmm. love for people, and just your zest for life in general. Man, it's it's very it's very endearing, very beautiful, very attractive and. Let's start with your love for the ocean, man. Like you're an island man, you're Hawaiian yeah. and you're very versed yeah. in oceanography and and ecosystems. But fundamentally, like how how are you so connected to the ocean?
0: Yeah, I don't, I mean, to be perfectly honest, like I'm not like the most ocean guy in Hawaii. <laughs> I'm not even the most ocean person compared to maybe some other cultures. It's, mm. there's, how I see it is I'm just part of a community. And I like to exist in kind of like the medium. Like I don't necessarily need to be the max diver or like the person who's gonna like be at every beach cleanup in, in my mind. I like just participating as a, a community member where the status quo is someone who is a steward of the environment. Mm, I love that word and custodian yeah a custodian a a Mm. steward of of you know the place that we depend on so you know being from Hawaii it's we're 2,500 miles from the nearest landmass like Mm. the most isolated landmass on the planet Mm. and it's just kind of that's the consciousness where Mm. I come from and I'm very proud to know that I'm not really maybe the best, but even the medium level person is willing to fight for the ocean, is willing to yeah. appreciate the ocean on a level that maybe some people who don't have access to the ocean can't even understand. And It's a privilege and it also becomes a challenge to try to convince people who maybe aren't near to the ocean why it's so mm. important. Yeah, they're not in proxy with it. Out of sight, out of mind, It's it's kind of mm. hard for people to really believe that three out of the four breaths we take come from the ocean if we don't have the ocean we can't breathe and (laughs) we're talking about getting tingles brother ice cream peanut butter toothpaste like you name it the ocean probably has a role somehow in it so if you understand that relationship your dependency your true dependency like breathing we can't breathe without the ocean that oh man that like gives you a sense of um, like obligation Completely. to that space. And yeah. that's pretty standard in yeah. Hawaii. So <laughs> as much as it may seem like, oh yeah, like I do do a lot. Really, yeah. I, I, I can do more. Yeah, But I'm also proud to be from a place where everyone does a lot. Yeah, I love what you're saying, man. Like I think, um,
1: I think as soon as we remove or distance ourselves from the ocean... Um, I think for me, when I started like living close to the beach again, like I, I began to see that the ecosystems in the ocean are really important to like the, the health of the world, the health of humanity. And I surf twice a day and I'm in direct intimate relationship with it. And it's a part of me. And I see the effects of waste. I see the effects of plastic. I see the Brilliant. waste, the waste that comes from our draining systems. And, you know, you can sense when there's been too much overfishing. Brilliant. Um But I remember that last night when I picked you up, you said something about how even our bacteria is connected. And I want you to talk about that in a moment. But I just think now that the more that I'm going in consciousness, the more that I see that we are the ocean. We are part of the ocean. The ocean is part of us and we're not above it, like the colonial mindset that we're above everything and detached. But like we're part of the earth, we're part of the ocean. Mm. It's in us. Yeah. And so when I'm actually jumping in the ocean, like it's part of me, it's like, Holy. you know, and my amphibious soul does feel at home. And I think we come from water, yeah. from our mother's womb. And, but yeah, can you talk about the bacteria?
0: Yeah, I, well, you know, modern science is kind of catching up to a lot of the beliefs that have existed across the planet for thousands of years in that we are very connected to the natural world and there's an exchange that happens. And it's very difficult to quantify what that relationship looks like. What does that interaction look like? So modern science is now using the type of bacteria and fungus and protists and viruses and chemicals that are shared between humans and the natural world as a way to characterize the relationship. Meaning as a human organism, you are mostly composed even on the skin, in the eye, ears, guts, up of microbes. Mm. Bacteria and fungus that are codependent on the same environment you are. So there's a symbiotic relationship between the types of bacteria and fungus that live on us and in us. And if we don't have those bacteria or those fungus that we depend on, we will be more susceptible to infection, disease, and illness. Mm. So it's very humbling to recognize that though we think the human organism is this highly evolved species, in fact, we are so dependent on just few bacteria in our guts that if we don't have it, we can't even survive. That first colonization of bacteria as we exit the womb is so critical for our overall well being for our entire life. It could affect our allergies. It can affect the way we think. It's so critical, this relationship Mm -hmm. and... What I find fascinating is how does the bacteria from the ocean interact with the human body as a surfer? Mm. For good or for worse, it's still unclear, but through studies like microbiome research, we are able to now identify ocean bacteria that is found on surfers that are shared across the world. Meaning you are more biologically similar to a surfer on the other side of the planet than someone who doesn't surf down your street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. So uh, microbes or microbiome? Yeah, so the microbiome is essentially yeah. the community of microbes that yeah, live on. in whatever system. The microbiome of your eye is all the bacteria, fungus, ba- yeah. or the bacteria, fungus Protists, viruses, some even argue, you know, potentially different types of um, DNA analogs or RNA analogs are within this sphere of microbiome. But it's, it's these replicating organisms that are invisible to the human eye mm. that really dictate the overall ecology of that system. Yeah. If we think about our skin, it's like a, a rainforest. Yeah, and there's all these different types of organisms that are working together yeah. for the entire system to be in balance. Yeah, and that's what microbiome research is about—is trying to understand who's there. Yeah, and why are they there? Yeah, it's just like the animals in a African savanna. Yeah, wow. What's the ecology on a microbial, molecular, invisible level? Yeah,
1: that's awesome, man. So I don't know, even breaking it down, so. If I'm going to hang out with someone who's a surfer and they surf as much as I do, I I I do sense that there's such an energy when I connect with a surfer and like a connection there's a flow state, there's a sense of ease and I don't know, is is it just being in the water? Do you think it is? Do you think people are affected in a in a bacterial level and does that actually what is the the output of that in the normal day-to-day life?
0: That that's a great question that yeah. I would love to to learn more about yeah. and do more research. I, I'm not sure if yeah. there is a positive benefit to yeah. going to the ocean yeah, or that I, But that being said, there, are, there is evidence of other research studies that look to see how the bacteria in our guts metabolize or break down certain foods that we eat. And as it breaks it down, it releases neurotransmitters to signal pleasure to our body so without certain bacteria in your gut it won't give you that same high or adrenaline rush if you eat the same foods so you could be you know if you have a a microbiome in your gut a gut microbiome that is unbalanced and it doesn't have the type of bacteria that are going to stimulate your brain in a positive way you might want to shift that diet to be able to say how can I or shift the diet and maybe exploring how does a different microbial community change the way I feel after yeah, I eat certain foods. For sure. Because it's the bacteria again, that is breaking down these complex compounds mm. from our diet and simplifying them into these neurotransmitters. Yeah, for sure. That give us this that is stimulate. Our, the,
1: the gut is our primary brain. Yeah. And, and then 95% of our serotonin is all down there. And so fully. obviously surfing activates
0: that. fully. And, and it's interesting. It's like too. a mystical experience when you get barreled. <laughs> it's from the gut, you know? Yeah, and for sure. It's pretty interesting, you know. They say now there's more research, recent research that's coming out that's saying, you know, the second brain, the yeah. gut. And if we look towards, you know, many indigenous cultures have, you know, wisdoms that translate very well to modern science. Mm. But from the culture I come from, Hawaiian yeah. culture, we have what we call the na'au and the na'au is kind of it's in your it's in like your your stomach area mm. you know and it kind of drives you to do what you for all intensive purposes to do the right thing mm. so whenever a lot of times we feel lost in Hawaiian culture someone often just says listen to your na'au and mm. everyone kind of knows that's the truth, but sometimes you need the reassurance from someone. Mm. Listen to that na'ao. And as, as much as I would love to romanticize about the, the mystique of the nao. Mm. how it's not for the simple human mind to understand it, there's something about trying to understand that that intrigues me. The curiosity. Yeah. And perhaps the na'al is the central source of these neurotransmitters, the source of forward thinking, the yeah. source of perhaps even consciousness. Yeah. And to be able to have a culture which has identified the stomach region, the gut, as the source of that. Yeah. Is pretty powerful. Yeah. And, you know, that's
1: great, man. Yeah. Um, from what I understand even about like uh, like Greek and, and Chinese thought, they always spoke of, you know, like even your emotions didn't come from your heart. It was almost mm-hmm. like, I love you with all of my liver. Yeah. That kind of language in the literal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it talks about even in in like Christian thought, like or in Yao in in. In in biblical thinking, like the bowels of Yahweh, mm-hmm. like this very emotional part, and like it's not talking about the heart or the mind. It's like indigenous cultures really spoke about this part sure. of the human thing or, or, of the human being.
0: And and everyone is in like how I see it is that everyone at one point was indigenous to somewhere.
1: Yeah,
0: and this isn't when indigenous knowledge. It really is. It's universal knowledge. You know, everyone comes from somewhere, and. I don't like to segregate or alienate anybody yeah. as an indigenous person, which I still hold my roots yeah. to where I currently reside. I don't ever want to, you know, express that at the expense of someone who maybe doesn't have that connection yeah. to a space. Yeah, and that's Cause, a, yeah imperialism can
1: go both ways. Completely, you
0: know, and I, it's I I'm privileged in that mm. sense. That's my privilege that I I have to take yeah. ownership of it, but again that indigenous perspective and knowledge, people have it. Yeah. And I was, you know, speaking earlier about my good friend Fergal Smith, who's, you know, an amazing surfer, one of the best surfers on the planet. He's also an organic farmer Mm. in La Hinch, Ireland, in Clare County. And we were planting garlic in the rows or the fields or however they they Mm. do it, but we're planting the garlic and we were kind of just talking story and he said, yeah, just like that. And I was like, like this? And he said, yeah, that's how we've been doing it for thousands of years. Wow. And I was not facing him as I was planting the garlic into the earth. I said, what'd you say? Still not looking at him. And I heard him say again in his Irish accent, that's the way we've been doing it for thousands of years. Come on. And it kind of dawned on me that when I look back at him, I see this like, you know, fair skin, blue yeah. eye, you know, Anglo yeah. telling me this is how their family has done it for thousands of years. yeah, And it blew my mind because I've never had someone outside of really Polynesia yeah, or the indigenous nations of North America tell me, this is how we've done anything for thousands yeah. of years. And for Fergal to tell me that I looked yeah. at him and I, I was just like, so excited. I was yeah. like, bro, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. you know. And the ignorance has been pushed to the side. Yeah. And though Fergal and I have differences, we were able to marginalize those differences yeah. and communicate on what we could identify with, mm. which was tradition. Yeah, and we connected. Passed down legacy, fully ancestry, and it, beautiful. It was it was, it was that, that whole transcendence of the race. Yeah, transcendence of, where you come from. Yeah, it was simply about sharing. Yeah. He was offering his knowledge that was given to him yeah. by his ancestors. Yeah, and it felt really good, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of times in Hawaii, people kind of expect. Um, an experience, yeah, and an authentic experience, which has came from the volcanoes or the canoes, and yeah. that knowledge oftentimes is very old knowledge, yeah. and those are gifts that are given to us, yeah. and we receive it with the responsibility to mm. be accountable for it. Yeah So to be given that same knowledge regardless of whether I was going to take ownership of it in the future by Fergal, it was an honor. And something as simple as garlic planting, it was insane.
1: Tell me, brother, what do you love about surfing?
0: I mean, for me, there's so many things. Mm. But I think one of the strongest and most powerful things about surfing is that it's an identity for my people. Mm. And that... Surfing was given to me as a gift by my father. Wow. That was given to him throughout the generations. Because surfing began in Hawaii. Standing on surfboards, as far as I have been taught, started in Hawaii. Mm. Whereas the act of wave sliding has been documented across many different cultures Mm. from South America, down in different parts of Polynesia. Mm. You know, people have even said parts of Africa, uh, the African continent are some of the origins of wave sliding, which I'm not here to dispute, but we have it inter, we have these stories integrated into our cultural identity. Mm. Whereas surfing is not just an expression of leisure, but of stewardship of intellect of sophisticated connection to the natural world and it was in our religious stories it was in our wow. academic stories it was in our monarch it 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 kind of intertwined our daily life mm. and to have that it, it, there it was is. like the
1: tapestry of life it, it
0: was it was essential to understanding how to take part in the natural world yeah and if you kind of think about how these these waves which we slide on originate they originate from the Sun very far away. And as the earth and the ocean heats, it eventually creates these storms. The power of the sun now is manipulated in a way which creates energy above the surface, which then gets transferred into the surface of the ocean deep, deep down. And that energy now begins to move thousands of miles across the open seas to eventually coming to a site of energy transfer back into the atmosphere. Mm. Once that wave crashes on the shore. Mm. And just before that wave dissipates and the energy is restored back to where it came from, we are able to harness that and be connected for a moment. That surfing.
1: (laughs) I felt like you just read me some
0: (laughs) existential poem. I, I mean that that's yeah, no, that's, that's the story man I, you know, yeah and, for sure and that's and
1: that's you know I I and was like it's a, it's a crazy feeling everyone says yeah surfing knows a feeling but especially when you see quite like you, you might not expect it but there's a swell on the horizon you're driving up a coastline you're chasing a swell and you see that wave for the first time there's all, there's this haunting awe, this connection this reverence yeah um it's energy man that's
0: it's it's that's literally what it is and not you know when we talk about you know the positive vibes and the energy it's like like legit literal energy transfer is happening from the sun into the ocean it's it's insane and we are able to experience that and that's why you know many people can articulate how they interact on that on that wave but for me it's Again, I just really enjoy speaking in scientific language Mm. because it's an empowering tool that can be used to try to explain different events between cultures and between, you know, cultures essentially. And that's what's pretty cool about science. And
1: to add to that, in its most simplest form, like when you paddle out with your best friends in board shorts on the big island the, and there's a swirl, like there is like the most special connection with for, your best friends. Like you're paddling over the face wave, you're calling your friend into a 10-foot barrel.
0: Because everyone know, at where I come from, if not everyone, a majority of the people know this story. Yeah. And that's something that we don't have to, you know, like that whole, yeah, the sun vibes and everything going, like that's real heavy and that's really yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah but We kind of get taught that kind of early on, yeah. so now we can just enjoy it with that sense of you know revenance almost, but not mm-hmm. like on a like taboo kind yeah. of way like we we participate in it yeah. it's like we we celebrate surf, and yeah. I think that's maybe on the fundamental level is what I love about surfing is the celebration, yeah, you can celebrate celebrate alone, yeah you can celebrate with friends, yeah you know it, it's it's just such a great way to just celebrate, yeah the natural world. I
1: think, I just want to add something to that because I think historically surfers have not been seen as intellectual and sure. surfing and its foundations in the 60s and 70s when it when it came into pop culture it was seen as an act of rebellion. It was like sure. punk rock. Well, it wasn't punk rock. It was rock and roll, surfing, almost like the Fonzie of the coast was like and I even know in Newcastle where I was from like surfers weren't allowed on buses in like the 70s mm. and early 80s. like There was just this this connection that people had with Rebellion yeah. and like surfers not being, um, you know, informed citizens sure. that played by the rules, like dishonouring citizens. Sure. And I think even today, we we're talking about it last night. There still is this parading of misogyny within surf culture sure. and almost like a bit of a meathead spirit. It's almost like, yeah, fuck, I'm gonna get some sick waves this weekend and yeah. uh, get some chicks. And like, there's just this, you know, he charges in the surf, great in the air. Doesn't know anything. Doesn't read books. (laughs) Sure, you know. But I, I love though that man. You embody um, an informed ocean lover. Um, someone who's connected. Obviously, you're a great surfer, but you're also a scientist. You have a PhD, and I think what is in you is something that is at this stage in the world is quite an anomaly. I think there's a rise of intellectual surfing. Yeah, and it, it is kind of seen as cool now, as in the vegan world, as in the music world. People are rising up that. That want to know how the world works and fully. and how
0: what we do affects climate change. Yeah. Um, well, the funny thing about you know when people you know that whole rebellion against the rules. Yeah. In the end of the day, the ocean makes the rules, and yeah. you have to follow them there. Yeah. You know there there are no cheating yeah. the ocean. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we can act all we want. That yeah. we're we're conquering, we're taking control, we're rebelling. Yeah but the ocean will put us in our place. And yeah. everyone has a story of where that happened and yeah. when that happened. And if they don't, it's probably gonna happen very soon. Yeah. So it's interesting that we try to kind of fake the funk in that sense, Yeah. but I would also add that I believe the intellectual surfer is the majority. Mm. And I'm very lucky to be supported by brands That are promoting the majority. Mm. You know, that the people who are participating in the surf industry, by and large, are people that appreciate information Mm. and they appreciate evidence which support ideas. Yeah. It really is the minority that oftentimes may be, you know, celebrated by the industry unwillingly or unknowingly. That people believe is the majority. When again, mm. I would argue, it's people that understand bullshit from yeah. reality, and if if we can just communicate to those people, yeah. I think we we're better off. And yeah, again, sure. you know, there's there's really awesome brands out there that are beginning to respect the intellect mm. of the ocean goer, mm. and I really appreciate that because. By and large, there was a time where I kind of lost a lot of faith in the surf industry, but that's changing now. And that's why I I participate fully in Mm. surf industry because there's a space for someone like me who maybe doesn't connect very much with numbers in terms of points, rather someone who will create an experience which I connect to whether yeah. it's stewardship or yeah. friends, whatever yeah. it is. It doesn't always have to be jerseys, you know. And I
1: think also, man, it's like we talked about last night, um, as far as like we both want to be in for the long game and like living sustainable lives mm-hmm. and having thriving relationships. Sure. Thriving romantic, non-relation- non-romantic relationships, having thriving bodies, like honoring our bodies. Like we both... Uh, want to steward um, what we have for the greater good of humanity and the world and I think you know it hasn't been seen historically in surfing like a picture of that of like people just genuinely wanting to be the best human that they can be really? and because what has been paraded like we were saying is like this this party going junkie you know he's just on the dance floor like in movies it was it was Pennywise and getting on like beer
0: tin cans really? but but that's That's what that image and that identity was created after the fact that originally, and still to this day, in order, if if you're getting good waves, you have to be smart. Like, yeah, you know, you have to have, however you want to quantify or qualify what smart is, that's up to you. But you don't just paddle out to any wave and or any break and get the best waves. Mm. If you're getting the best waves, you have done some sort of research. You have done some sort of observation. Yeah. You've asked questions and you've run a couple experiments in your own self to see if your theory on how to get good waves works or not. Yeah. And that's regardless of how much beers you pound or how much chicks you hang out with. Yeah. Everyone has to do the work. Yeah. And maybe sometimes the image of the work itself is not promoted, Mm. which is on the industry, but like for the most part, Mm. which is why it's cool that it's starting to change. You know, like you said, in music and in, you know, the culinary world, Mm. there's a, there's kind of a remembering of what it was. Yeah, And it doesn't have to be kind of nostalgic and like not progressive. It can actually be highly progressive yeah, and highly sure. innovative, and but like an
1: integrated approach. Exactly,
0: it, it's yeah. just not leaving out mm. part of the conversation. Yeah, which it, it's a cool time to be a surfer, at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, that's great, man. Um, you uh, you're a professional surfer, but you also have a PhD. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know this paradox between being. Um, like a science researcher and someone who's creating content around the world. You were just about to go to Fiji and mm-hmm. you've surfed in Chopu, Tahiti, you've surfed all around Europe and Central America. And um, do you love living in that paradox? And because, yeah. yeah, there's not that many guys are doing what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons why I love our conversations, because it's like a whole different angle that we're talking about things.
0: I mean, I, I love it. I love being able to communicate. With people from different disciplines, different backgrounds, and you know, yeah, the the Ph.D. at the end of the day, it was a lot of stress, and it was a yeah. lot of kind of catering to a system, an institution. But it did provide me access to individuals with interesting stories that I yeah. find interesting, and it it helps me to. Lend some type of support, or you know, offer a perspective that maybe could be useful. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, the the work which goes into a graduate degree is yeah, hopefully valuable to the yeah, world and for sure. And I just want to give that to people, and it's because
1: for me, if I was going to talk um, on on climate change in front of the microphone in front of a thousand people, like I'm a musician, and that's really awesome and cute, but if I had a science PhD, like I could also speak with a bit more authority. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's just, it's part of living in a performance based culture, but it's it's a bonus being able to speak in the realities from an educated place.
0: I think it's also being skeptical of a lot of things. It's kind of being as objective as possible. We try, but even because I have a doctorate, I don't know if I should be the person really talking about climate change, maybe in sea level rise or perhaps in, you know, carbon cycles like maybe i'm not the guy i've i've took courses on it but my focus was on the chemical interaction between humans and their environment yeah so i'm not even an expert on climate change Mm. i can talk about things that contribute to climate change and the only thing that i feel that i can provide some type of Confidence on is that there is rules in the scientific world, which we have to participate in in order to say something is fact.
1: Yeah, like peer reviews. And peer
0: reviews basically. If like ha- the seven.
1: There's like seven levels of how something can be classified as. Yeah, it,
0: it's yeah. it's basically from the scientific. We use yeah. the scientific method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, is you you observe something, you ask a question, you test the question and then you formulate a theory. And you write down and record everything that you've done. Mm. You send it out to other scientists who probably don't like you and don't want you to be able to put new stuff out there that is competing with them. So you have kind of a non-biased peer group and then they check your shit and see if it's legit or not. And it's a pretty rigorous, sometimes political process. But for the most part, the rigor of peer review often allows the cream to rise to the top and kind of the bullshit to be left behind.
1: That's great, man. Um, I want to talk about one of your projects. You're a bit of a mogul, man. Like you just kind of make it happen. I love how you don't wait for opportunities. You didn't wait for sponsors. You didn't wait for Vizzle to pick you up. And you've knocked on a bunch of doors. You've applied for a bunch of grants. gotten a lot of grants, been denied grants but you've got your own camera gear and you started making little films and things yeah. even before getting on to other surfing films. Can you tell me about Surf Wasted?
0: Yeah, uh, Surf Surf Wasted was a project that I did with Maddie Rayner, who's a shaper out of Haula on the North Shore of Oahu. And basically what we wanted to do is at the time I was getting boards from Maddie, and I wanted to create an environmentally conscious quiver of mm. boards. So we were able to fortunately come into some cash by filming one of my good friends entering to the wave of the winter, Surfline's wave of the winter is best wave of three months or something on the North shore of Oahu gets awarded $25,000 yeah. and the filmers get five grand. So we ended up winning that as we filmed the Mikey's wave and we <laughs> used that money to go into the research and development of how to get an equal eco- the environmentally friendly.
1: Tell me about this wave, by the way. Tell everyone. Oh, you told Mikey's me wave. Yeah.
0: Oh, mikey waves was insane. I I was I was kind of at back door on the North Shore surfing, um kind of looking yeah, down at Pipeline. In my, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, the right off of Pipeline. Yeah. So I'm surfing the back door, catching a few waves and kind of not really getting any good ones. And then I see Mikey, Mikey O'Shaughnessy, like kind of North Shore staple now, kind of. A main powerhouse at Pipeline, mm. Waimea, Backdoor, Peahi, Jaws. Like he's literally a part of that movement of positive warriors out there that mm. are charging beyond yeah. belief. Mikey flags me over, Cliff, come down <laughs> to off the wall, which is um, one break west of Pipeline. Yeah, there's a couple waves that people surf in between, but those are. Pretty much not really waves, yeah. and the only the real crazy people surf those things. But off the wall is like no walk in the park either. It's basically a closeout yeah. on super shallow reef. And you know, Mikey flags me over, come over here. I'm kind of like, okay, let's go surf the closeout over like shallow reef. Okay. Paddle over there. And as I'm paddling over, a set comes in, and I know I'm already too deep. I'm out of position and And really, it wasn't about anyone giving Mikey the wave or Mm. whether someone said go or not. The wave came in perfectly and hit the reef just in the right position where Mikey was in the best part. And he took off, dropped into this crystal clear blue cavern, double overhead, as wide as it was tall. Literally, he was driving through the barrel, (sighs) pumping up and down the face, nearly getting sucked over into the lip and pounded on the shallow reef. But he held his line, resisted, getting slammed, disappeared, almost got sucked backwards into the <laughs> wave and rolled as the white water created a foam ball. And it eventually blew him out of this cavern wow. with so much force. He just hunched over, kicked out, and everyone behind just was like applauding. It was... It was one of the the most amazing waves. That's insane, man. And twenty five grand later. Twenty five grand later he's just like, Cliff, you guys filmed it. (laughs) You guys get five grand. And that and that's that's a a testament to Mikey. Yeah. Mikey was more concerned about making sure the filmers were taken care of than making sure he got the twenty five grand check. Yeah. And you know, again, it's just that he's from the big island too. He's from Hilo. And He's know, a brother. He, yeah, he's like, he's family. Yeah. And it, it's, but he would, he would do the same thing to someone he didn't know. Yeah. Like, it, he's, yeah. he really is an awesome, awesome, and special person. But without Mikey's Wave, really, we wouldn't have had the resources yeah. to invest into an in Eco Quiver. And I ended up. Okay,
1: so Eco Quiver. I just- Language, vernacular.
0: Oh, so like, I mean, that that's kind of, I mean, and I hate to kind of talk about eco things because that's kind of greenwashing, you know, saying like something's eco or not. Yeah. Basically in my mind, an eco surfboard at the time was something that I could surf. If it breaks, I throw it in the garden and it turns into compost or yeah. plants can grow out of it. That was the goal. Yeah. Document my journey to try to create a quiver that if it breaks, I could turn it into earth and that's what surf wasted came out because i try to tackle the idea of waste living on an island waste is a big issue it doesn't really go anywhere kind of just sits around if it doesn't Mm. decompose and that was the inspiration behind the film
1: wow and so man um you guys got the funding
0: um what are these boards made out of so I mean, we made three boards. Yeah, They're all the same dimensions, same weight. They had different flex patterns because of the materials were made out of different things. It was basically a standard surfboard, polyurethane core with silica-based silica, pa- ba- silica based fiberglass and um, polyester resin to coat mm. it. Basically a surfboard is a composite made up of three things, the foam, the glass, and the resin. Mm. So for the polyurethane board, or the standard, industry standard, industrial standard board. It was a polyurethane core, silica-based fiberglass, and polyester resin. For the recycled board, the core, the foam, was made out of 25% recycled EPS. Um, The resin was made out of um, something called... uh, uh, I forget actually what it was called. It was a it was kind of a pilot pol it was like a test polymer or something that uh mm. Kenora Technologies provided. It was an epoxy resin that supposedly when you added some acid and heated it up, it could break down and you can recover the materials from mm. certain materials from it. So it was like a way to recycle um the resin and we used uh, fiberglass, pretty mm. much just regular fiberglass. And the last board, the eco board, is made out of algae foam yeah. and bio. Algae foam? Yeah, algae foam. So basically, foam is made for surfboard manufacturing. Foams are usually made from uh, petroleum based oil. Yeah. And these oils are essentially these carbon chains that get transformed into what we know as polyurethane. Yeah. So a lot of the, the carbon comes from, again, this petroleum-based oil, fossil fuels. Yeah. We, what, or what, not we, but what um, Entropy Resin does is Entropy grabs oil from pine trees, essentially, yeah. to coat cool. epoxy bonds. And again, that being said, the most kind of bio you can get right now is between 40 and 60% of a renewable source or some type of recycled source. What about yeah. wooden boards? I mean, wooden boards are, are the exception. And then you have like some mushroom boards that are mushroom corals, bamboo, bamboo. You know, if you can get a, a, a bio board, but essentially you're still going to have to coat it with some type of resin. It's a composite at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. So if you're a composite, is basically two or more materials coming together for a new product. Mm. And whether you're making wooden boards or whether you're making bamboo boards, essentially you're going to have to put together some type of coating if you want mm. unless you don't and you can choose not to you know you just run the risk of you know waterlogging it or dinging it so at the end of the day what is the most eco-friendly board body surf no board you know like it it's even if you have wooden boards you know where does that wood come from mm. you know are you taking it from a fallen tree or are you harvesting and even from a fallen tree how are you transporting it you know what's like the emission and to get it so it's, yeah, it, whenever
1: someone says, "Yeah, it's completely sustainable," it's like bullshit. Nothing that we have is completely sustainable.
0: Because when like, we talk, yeah, when we talk about sustainability, is it, it it can be talking about is it environmentally sustainable? Is it economically sustainable? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. we're
1: importing, what we're exporting, man. We have
0: we have to make money. It has to it has to thrive yeah. economically. Yeah. And is it sustainable in that? Like sustainability is such a broad. Term that I think I, I understand. Again,
1: greenwashing. Yeah, used all the time, and the big right. brands love it.
0: But that being said, I, I'm very happy to be able to work on trying to find those those materials that are potentially better than straight up petroleum based. Yeah. Conventional surfboard manufacturing. Yeah. Which, uh, if you make a board that's going to last, that's pretty eco to me too. If you get a used board. Yeah. That's eco too. You know, it's like, how do we approach the conversation with creativity? Yeah, I think it's about being creative and having all the information. And like, again,
1: there has to still be like a spirit of non-judgment in this conversation Fully. because we can easily plastic shame each other. and Fully. Like, and there's always, yeah. So lots of grace. But man, I want to ask. So you made this film. You had a friend of yours that scored the music for the film. Mm-hmm. You edited it yourself. You shot it edited it yourself um then you sent it to was it surfer
0: magazine yeah surfer magazine yeah yeah to to ask them if they would be interested in showing it on their on their site and you know todd prodanovich he was he's the editor of surfer he you know really came on and kind of helped me actually iron out some of the kinks in it yeah and we launched it on the site it got some attention and it it did pretty pretty well and, so,
1: and then I went to a few film festivals and won a couple of film festivals.
0: Yeah, and, and it was I mean these this isn't like Sundance or anything. It yeah. just was like these like environmental film festivals that really appreciated at the time, what is it like three years ago, someone just trying to ask the question. Yeah. And maybe that's all it really takes is just someone to try to figure it out. I didn't provide really no solutions in the film. It was it was just me trying to figure it out and at the end not really coming to a clear conclusion other than this is what i want yeah and i think people are ready for this discussion and from that film we launched a contest on the north shore called the protest yeah then what we did was we offered a bunch of different professional surfers the opportunity to ride certified environmentally conscious boards and the certification came through sustainable surf which is an organization in the states which offers a label to boards that either made of recycled material or bio materials. And if it was certified, you could enter. We provided a quiver and we allowed the pros to surf the North Shore and get the best clips. And it eventually came down to, you know, Mikey O'Shaughnessy, my good friend, he actually won the contest. And mm. I was not even a judge in it, I had nothing mm. to do with any of that. And I was so excited when he won, cause not only did he win Wave of the Winter, he won like Eco Wave of the Winter or Environmental yeah. Wave of the Winter, and that just goes to show you he. It was kind of di- difficult to get people to ride these boards. Yeah. People were afraid that they'd be risking their lives on materials that they don't really trust. Yeah. But, you know, they, there's insane surfers that were going. Like Ezra Sit was like a huge contributor to the contest. He rode. You know his whole quiver now. He's on Firewire now, and he's like rides all his things with like eco labels. Wow! You have uh, there was people. You know, of course, Mikey Shaden Picaro was riding these boards. Um, I mean, it, it, there's a there's a ton of guys like international. Uh, uh, Miguel Blanco, um, I can't remember everyone. Yeah, who's right, yeah. But there's a long list of people that did participate in it and then we gave $10,000 to the winner. Bro. Again, Mikey Wan, we raised all the funds through different sponsors and it was just a real great movement to show like look, like Bro. guys are riding 10-foot pipe on these boards and getting what a statement. It was a huge statement and yeah, brother. It kind of just kind of shut up the haters that were like, "Oh, but it's dangerous or it doesn't work good." It's like, yeah, yeah. "Well, I don't know. This guy's making it look pretty insane." And now it's just kind of personal preference, which is a better yeah. argument to have. I don't like this versus it doesn't work. Yeah. Because then that really puts a damper on the movement when you say, ah, oh, that's, that's, that's not innovation. Yeah. It's not sure, progression, yeah. which I believe going towards more environmentally conscious materials is progression. Yeah. And kind of the highest form of technology. Yeah. That's
1: great, man. I feel like uh, from what you said last night, you, you definitely... Uh, You curate your life in a very intentional way when it comes to your carbon footprint. You try to fly less than what you used to. And if you have to fly, like, if you're going to fly somewhere to get waves, you're going to try and partner with a project that is going to create more awareness. And so you're trying to think, okay, this is my footprint. Now this is my handprint. Mm -hmm. What can I contribute back? Um, What content is going to help stir this conversation even further? Mm. Um, And so I love that about you, man. And so, Yeah. yeah, do you want to just... Tell me a bit about your mindset on that.
0: Yeah, I guess I never really heard it put that way in terms of footprint versus handprint. Mm. And I think that's, pretty, that's a cool way to think about it. Yeah. That at the end of the day, we are leaving some type of impact. Yeah. And we can choose ultimately what's kind of the greater means of that impact. Mm. And I, I'm definitely not an authority on low carbon impacts. Yeah on carbon offsets or i I struggle like everyone else and i think to recognize that i'm not the guy Mm. but i'm trying to find out how to how to get Mm. to to a place where i can learn about it or eventually maybe one day get there Mm. that's just a goal like a Mm. a lifelong goal which is not unique to me but you know a lot of people Mm. i think that again i just want to be a part of that community yeah like the community, there's a, there's an amazing community of people who are so conscious mm. of their interaction with the natural world mm. that I, I respect them and I look up to them so much that I just wanna do what I can with the things that were given to me to do that.
1: Mm.
0: And it, it doesn't have to be like going to Fiji to do an environmental film. You know, it doesn't mm. have to be not buying plastic water bottles it, yeah it literally can be whatever you're good at yeah. like if you are an amazing musician mm. putting in those conscious lyrics into mm. your music can literally change a generation totally you know not. and it's I believe everyone's good at something yeah whether it's ping pong or flying an astronaut spaceship across the universe whatever mm. it is mm. have that self value to know yeah. that I can make a you know badass black bean burger yeah well maybe make those black bean burgers for people who are out there on the front lines yeah. or maybe just make a, a post about why you think that is helping and yeah for
1: sure it, that's the thing man i think like you look around at the world you see curious going under the water you, you see the the plastic and ending up in the water you see trump doing stuff you see like oil rigs getting built up around Australia, it's really paralyzing thinking about the future for our kids and our grandkids. Um, And I think it can actually lead you to a place of nihilism and like, fuck, like I can't do anything. Let's just like get on acid and just like, you know, smoke ourselves away or whatever. But for me, it's like it comes down to like looking deep within, coming into your body and just thinking, man, like, I have my makeup, I have my interests, I have my giftings. Like, how can I use what I have? Fully. And it starts in little things with conversations, how you talk, you know, the brands, like voting with your wallet, Fully. you know, um, just, just really looking about the ethics of like, when I got that shirt, did that person, those hundred people that helped build that shirt for me, did they receive a living wage? Fully. It's just thinking about those things. It's thinking, how can I have veggies in my garden? Fully. How can I drive my car less? How can I car share? It's like it's little things. Because I even said to a guy, I remember I was talking to an environmental commentator from Melbourne, and I was like, "Hey, mate, are you vegan?" And I just kind of hit him up, and I'm like, "I'm not, but I do these other ten things, yeah. and I drive a Prius, and I do all these things, and you know, and I, I, had, I have solar panels for days, and so it's like, being vegan is awesome, but it's just one thing, you know, right. and so it's, it's an inter- integrated approach.
0: It, it's we we live in a in a grey conversation for sure and to be comfortable in that uncomfortability like Mm. that's i think what can really empower some people to not be as judgmental like Mm. oh oh," you know there's people that just maybe have never been to the ocean they don't Mm. understand that they've never seen that energy and is it right for me to say like oh you're messed up you know like you don't understand what if they understand tornadoes Mm. in the mountains in a way which I don't understand? And I'm like, what? We should be building, you know, koa trees or we should be building coconuts over there. Mm. People are like, no, the prairie is like a critical ecosystem Mm. that like you don't want big trees like what you're describing. Like Mm. the shrubs are just as important. They sequester more carbon than even like the rainforest. And I don't know if that's true, but maybe there's these types of expressions that I'm just not familiar with. Yeah, for sure. I can't put that on someone else. Yeah. And being being knowing that people are trying their best at what they yeah. got, and to almost maybe hold ourselves more accountable mm. to saying, "Hey, you know what? I understand that this guy don't get it. Yeah. But it's not my place to try to change him. Yeah. I only can be that example yeah. and make it seem, whether it's cool or even more so than cool, efficient. Yeah. And a better life life." Yeah. And the chances are that he didn't grow up a
1: surfer. And so we've grown up in this amphibious way of life. And Mm -hmm. so the ocean is so integrated into our core. But for someone who just grew up on like motorbikes and just playing rugby, like it's a different world. And they're not in the closest proxy. They're not rock climbers. They're not part of the Patagonia ethos. And so it's like, I've been brought up in privilege in that sense. Sure. A camping family. We didn't travel overseas. We had a big family. All we could afford was camping trips, sure. being out in the lake, going to the ocean. And so I've had that blessing, but not everyone has. And so I I know, um, I know the ocean and the natural landscape from being immersed in it as a child. It's part yeah. of me. I've experienced it. I know it's beautiful. But yeah, it's great, man. I want to go deep with you. Let's... Um, Because like this whole conversation is about beautiful minds and I I love your mind, man. Like I love, I love, as soon as you jumped in the car, we high fived, hugged it out and it just felt like I met a brother straight away. And I know that you felt the same. And you know, man, like, um, I think this conversation of male masculinity or like redeemed masculinity Mm. in a world where, you know, we're all about women now, which is epic Fully. Because women mm-hmm. have been so subjugated, you know, this whole notion of submission and male dominion and toxic patriarchy, like it's real, man. I hate it. I hate I hate that I believe these scripts. Mm. But I think now it's kind of like people male sapiens, including myself, in our questioning, were like, who do I look at? Sure. Cause there isn't obviously we live in a lot of mystery. There's not one way to be a man, and there's not one way to be an awesome man, but I think these conversations of you know, of, of being vulnerable as men and coming coming to terms with these toxic narratives. Sure. And then embodying a, a balanced, beautiful, strong, brave, uh, sensitive male. Sure. Um, I don't know. How's that journey been for you? Because I know that we were talking about going through breakups. I just went through a breakup. You've been through breakups and the temptation to kind of play the field when you're lonely sure. and to kind of commodify women. And so maybe we'll start there.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm no saint, Yeah. you know, and I think that there's no real excuse or justification for some of the things that maybe I've done that I'm not proud of. Hmm. And on that same note, I think it's important to really understand. I Just for me, I, I've understood that maybe that didn't come enough for loving myself. Yeah. You know, and I really relied more on trying to find that love somewhere else because I couldn't take ownership of loving myself. I was Mm. afraid to, and that's just something that I've come to kind of forgive even myself for some of the things that maybe I'm embarrassed about, Mm. but also spend more time truly loving myself. And in, in loving myself, I feel now I can love others so much more and i'm not so dependent on someone trying to you know reassure me or yeah. though it's nice yeah. and i do get that love i don't have to feel it's uh, become dependent on that mm. and recognize that the people whose love i surround myself with now they don't depend on my love either mm. and collectively we give each other that love and i i don't i don't like to speak about you know, gender gender wars and inequalities, yeah. because I know it exists, yeah. I acknowledge it does. And I only mm. can speak from a male perspective as much as I, exactly. yeah. I I like to think like, oh no, I'm down with the female, I'm down with the woman, I'm not. And all I can do is love myself as human. And hopefully that will make sure we we all can come together in a way where no one's being left behind, you know, I guess. Yeah. And, and again, these are all, like, ideals that I still struggle with. Yeah, for sure. And I, I still get down on myself. and
1: But I will say, man, even the way that you talk about your sisters as, like, your best friends and as wise, strong women, man, it was just music to my ears. And, yeah. and I love that. You, you intentionally want to live with your sisters, and it's great.
0: Like, and I grew up with four of them, and definitely they, they, they're, they're awesome. They're that's just how we grew up, you know. I've, yeah you know, two kind of older sisters and two younger sisters, and collectively, the older of us, we took care of the little ones, mm. and it's beautiful. Man. Now the little ones kind of also to take care of us, yeah. and we just we just come from a very close family, yeah. you know, and, and and they all surf, they all surf all spearfish. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're all they're all. I mean, this there can be a whole another podcast yeah. just about how. Gnarly, those girls are. So, <laughs> you just got to come to Hilo and interview them because I, I know better yeah, than man, to I talk can't wait to come over
1: to stay, man. That's going to be a, tr- a real treat. Yeah, man, I'm just wrapping up. Like, I um, I really want you to share just a couple of cool Hawaiian words for the listeners. And I love language, and I love how there's there's a lot of words in different languages that we don't have a word for in English. Mm-hmm. And one word or a phrase that you can give to us that, you know, could just open something up within?
0: Yeah. um, I mean, there's so many subtleties in the language, in the Hawaiian language, and there's so many amazing parts of the language. It's -hmm. difficult to just find one. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, aloha is just foundational in mm. the identity of Hawaii mm. and across the Pacific. I mean across the world, really in my mind. Yeah. People have a word for aloha. Yeah. In their own language, in their own tongue. What is the literal definition of aloha? I mean that's that's definitely I've heard different interpretations. <laughs> Which is so cool. It, there's know? so much mystery to it. And you know there's alo is the face and the ha is the breath. Wow. You know and and it's there's other people that say it means other things and it's all interpretation but I, aloha is so difficult to explain mm. but it's very easy to show yeah and that's what's so cool about that word and, uh, The the last two
1: times i was in hawaii and just hearing local family just being like aloha bro yeah you know and just i don't know it's just uh Physically you can feel it. Like your body feels this sense of calm and this shalom. Yeah. Um, but but why why breath? So face and breath. Like why could that be one of the myriads of definitions?
0: I mean the, the ha, the breath is is very critical to mm. to everything. It's kind of the only thing we truly have to share. You know? And going back again to this idea of breath in the ocean. Without the ocean we cannot breathe. And that ha, a very traditional Polynesian greeting between man and man or woman and man, man and child, woman and child, it's to exchange that ha. Yeah. And when I was still to this day if I don't see like my dad especially, you know, when I I went away to boarding school when I was young and every time we seen each other we'd greet each other traditionally and when we leave we you know with mm. the ha we'd put you know our face yeah. next to each other and we would we would share the ha mm. and that was giving something and sharing something that we depend on without mm. ha we cannot survive yeah and it's just it's so, so hard I mean, if you
1: say that to someone it's almost like this is our shared source yeah because we all share in that breath yeah we that all energy of life fully. that vital force
0: but it's really like if you've seen it's very it's shown very much in maori culture mm. it's um the greeting of the kiora um, it's the kiora like it's it's the you know the honey you mm. know it, it's it's being able to come together in an intimate space and mm. share that breath and yeah. it it's I know it's pretty awesome. And and I know that's there, there's so much something's so critical about you know the breath.
1: On that word, um you posted about that battle that happened and with that the beautiful auntie who was yeah. on the battlefield with her husband mm-hmm. and can you explain that story and her last words?
0: Yeah, so um this was In the early 1800s, it was in a time of uh, political shift and religious reform across the Hawaiian kingdom. And the current monarch in power wanted to abolish the old ways, the old religion, the old laws. And his cousin from Kona wanted to oppose that decision. And he opposed it formally through declaring war. And the battle at Kuomoo, it's on the Kona side of Hawaii Island, was then I mean, the battle took place at Kuomoo and the chief, which challenged the monarch, um, it was his wife, Monono, a high ranking chiefess who fought alongside her husband on the battlefield. And you know this was a, a picture depicted by the late Herb Kane And it was illustrating Monono um, Mm. with a musket in hand, battling alongside her husband, surrounded by a field of of men. And eventually the story goes is the chief who opposed the monarch fell. He eventually died on the battlefield. And it was Monono who then declared the battle to be over because the chief yeah. passed. And she asked you know, for mercy as the chief had died who opposed the, the ruling. But the general at the time of the monarch showed no mercy and allowed her to say the final words. Yeah. And what she said was, malama ko aloha and to care for our aloha before she was executed on the battlefield. So the chiefess too understood the value of the aloha. And whatever she interpreted as whatever she thought, it doesn't even really need a translation. Mm. It's in the face of death, she was able to say the aloha is critical and it's not just something you say hello goodbye you know it's it means so much more yeah to so many people and it almost doesn't even need a definition
1: oh man like there's a lot of things come to my mind like the core of humanity the
0: core of being the ground of being like i said it's it's easiest (laughs) shown (laughs) yeah despite being so difficult to describe Yeah.
1: yeah Oh man, um, I've loved our chat, man. We've got to go to this concert in Parramatta. Um, is there anything that you'd love to say just to leave us on a thought, just as, just before we go? Is there anything you'd like to add to this conversation?
0: I think I talked enough. Right. <laughs> I mean, I I'm just really appreciate. I appreciate now being in a place where I believe in myself. Yeah, for sure. And I I. Personally, came from a a previous background where I didn't believe in myself enough. Yeah, and I realize that now. Yeah, and you didn't believe in yourself enough, and you didn't love yourself. I didn't love myself. I didn't believe yeah. in myself. Yeah. And the only person, the only thing that really changed was myself to actually begin to believe more and begin to love myself more. Bruh. And once that happened, literally, like I'm the same guy I was. Yeah, but how I can carry myself, how I feel like I'm valued—that it's so empowering. And I, I would. I would hope that, you know, to the to the listeners or to anyone who maybe can relate to that, yeah. literally, like it's life changing right. to just believe a little bit more and love self mm-hmm. a little more and not feel ashamed or afraid that people are going to judge you and and not seek the validation of anyone else but yourself. Yeah. And it's been it's been great, and I'm so honored to be here, to be able to meet you, to be able to. <laughs> You know, even even give this perspective. Yeah. This is coming from a kid that never thought he'd ever leave Wainaku yeah. in Hilo. So Mahalo Nui. Bro, it was so cool this morning just seeing
1: you charge on a mini Mal <laughs> and just get little cover ups and just being out there in a storm together and I love your spirit, man. And I just I'm so excited for the influence that you're having in the world now and your future and um, as you start a family, hopefully the next five years, bro. And I've heard some really cool things about that. But yeah, man, thanks so much for the chat. Um, thank you for articulating your reality and your commentary on, on where things are going. And I, I feel really empowered as a human just from this chat.
0: Thank you. Hi. yeah. Same. it's
1: mutual bro love you bro (laughs) love you brother can't wait to come to Hawaii cannot wait bro dude we need to do a project together I want to score for one of your films yeah I want to
0: make some films for one of your scores (laughs) reciprocal (laughs) love you brother right on love you too